Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Faves, an upbeat talk show where the guest chooses a favorite topic to discuss. More often than not, it ends up being their favorite movie. Joe Kalowski is a wildlife ecologist, but more importantly, he's my brother. He was able to take a break from teaching courses to other biologists in Virginia to speak with me about his favorite film, Last of the Mohicans. We talked about the 1992 Michael Mann film, as well as his other favorite movies, our combined print comic collection, and when he knew he was destined for the career he has now. Enjoy. I Thanks for coming. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. I was wondering, I was sitting at home waiting for the invite, like and it finally came. <laughs> My dad was on twice. <laughs> Mother is on. Luckily, no sis- I beat no the sisters, sisters yet. I beat the sisters. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's important. I do not remember. I remember that I saw it in the theater. I think it was with our father, our dear really? father. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what movie theater it was? The one, no, with, but- the one next to the Bradleys. <laughs> the Village Mall Dollar Theater. I don't think it was the Village Mall. I think we went to one of the cool theaters, you know, mm. Jenkintown or one of those guys. Upscale. Yeah. With the marquees. I was going to I was wondering if you had like got it on VHS or something. It was like one of dad's purchases. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I definitely remember that we went to the movies, but I don't, I guess it came out when I was 16. Mm. So then I would have been eight. Yeah. Or something like that. Too young to appreciate the. Mm. Too graphic. It's a graphic it's film. It's very graphic. It's oddly graphic. Were you surprised at the graphic nature? I of don't it? remember the last time I saw this movie, honestly. Mm. Watched it <laughs> the other night. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis plays um, Hawkeye, an adopted white man into a tribe, and is thrust into the war between the British and the French, while also, of course, falling in love with the daughter of a, what was his rank, like general or something? Uh, Colonel. Colonel. Colonel Monroe. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's not like a normal violent movie that you'd see now. The violence is oddly depicted, where it's like more realistic. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I, that's actually one of the reasons why I like the fight scenes in the movie. I guess we'll get into little things about the movie, mm-hmm. but yeah, I feel like the fights are realistic. They're not movie fights. I don't remember the last time I knew or researched about the French and Indian mm. War, mm-hmm. honest to God. And I, I, while I was researching, I was like, why don't I remember any of this? Yeah. Like, I feel like I can't, I felt, first I felt like an idiot, but then second, I felt like, I feel like I'm not the only person that yeah. has, is totally clueless and has not brushed up on the seven year war. The seven years war. Like New France. Does mo- Do most people at this point remember that there was a part of North America called New France? I, no, I, I didn't. I guarantee they don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm readily admitting I had no idea. I mean, I think that I remember, <clears throat> I don't know if it was the first time I saw it, but I remember I've watched the movie many, many times over the years, but I think it's a cool thing about the movie that, like, is there another movie that deals with mm. the French and Indian War? Most people maybe have heard of it, I guess. I don't know, yeah. but... Uh, I think it's really cool that the movie focused on that time period and you see, I don't know, you just see like a part of history that people don't talk about very much. Mm-hmm. This is a early Daniel Day-Lewis. Wasn't Daniel Day-Lewis like your all-time favorite actor? I remember him being tops yeah. for, for a long time. Yeah, I think he still is. I can't think of someone really who would beat him out. No, mm. I think he would be my favorite. 
and sad days. I mean, he's supposedly retired, retired. from acting. That, have you seen that one that he retired after? Yeah, we just watched it recently, a couple think? weeks ago. Movie-wise, not super interesting, but mm. always a pleasure to watch Daniel Day-Lewis, you know? I remember um, talking about movies with Dad and me and you. We don't all have the same tastes. Like, mm. you're... Yeah, I feel like you're on the outskirts of the what what I would have like if I love a movie or like a movie, mm. I I could easily see you saying you didn't get it or you thought it sucked or we have very, very varying taste. <laughs> if you make for, make fun of me thirteen or fourteen more times, I swear I'm out of here. <laughs> Basketball was my life in in high school. Basketball, yeah, didn't get that movie. Know, we'll, leave it to the view- is, we'll leave it to the, the viewers to decide who has the, the higher baseline. tastes in film. <laughs> One movie <laughs> that you call out. I remember a, a heated arguments in our house about, about Schmidt with Jack Nicholson. Mm, really? Yeah, heated. Where did I fall on that? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember a discussion being heated. I, I know Dad I, loved that movie. I think you didn't like it. Yeah. And he didn't get it, that you didn't like it. Right. Uh, that's probably right. Yeah. Mm. I think Dad and I probably agree more than maybe more than you and I. Really? Agree. Yeah. Name ten instances. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Daniel Day Lewis, young, gorgeous in this movie. Striking. I didn't understand uh, along with the other like the the war itself and being unfamiliar with the history, but the Native Americans were like chummy with the colonials. Which I kind of just had no idea that that was a thing. Like they were all buddy buddy. They were playing like pretty much soccer back then, you know. Yeah, kind of lacrosse type game. I mean, I think that that's another thing I I love about this movie is you get to see. I mean, there's historical inaccuracies in the film, I'm sure, but you get to see the fact. I mean, I think when most people look back and think about the Indians, they think you know we were fighting them from get from the get go. Mm. We brutalized them, which we did in many ways, but, um, you know, the movie shows it's a bit subtle, but you get to see that the Mohawk were a very agricultural, um, tribe that got along really well with the, the colonialists and fought alongside them in the war. Mm. And then you see that other tribes were, uh, more war oriented tribes and, um, got along better with the French and, and wanted to fight against the colonialists. So, yeah, and you get to see that some of them were close friends. I mean, how many movies sort of depict that kind of relationship I I between... I was so shocked by it. Yeah, and yet it makes sense, you know, that things were more complex, you know, things were mm-hmm. um, complicated. Yeah, like when the first scene where Daniel Day-Lewis and his adopted brother uh, and father show up, it's like your neighbors Family. coming over for yeah, dinner. Exactly. It's like, hey, wh- where you been? And I'm yeah. like, what is happening? I don't know. Yeah. You don't see this. How come really? you're not killing those Indians? <laughs> no, this isn't right. I don't understand. And uh, just the fact that different tribes took different sides. Some mm-hmm. went with the British. Some went with the French. And uh, yeah, I thought it was fascinating. It made me, I was literally on Wikipedia for like an hour after this movie, mm. just seeing you know, what don't I remember from high school, really? I mean, once you learn it from high school, if you don't follow it as a profession, it's pretty much out of your mind Yeah, forever. Yeah, and it, it changed the whole course of 
of the Americas, you mm-hmm. know, if the French had won. Right. Well, we don't know. Be a lot that we'd be speaking French for one thing. Well, you do speak French. Right. And you're married to a French woman. So exactly. really what things would be very similar for me, but for you, they would have been a lot different. <laughs> You'd be a prince probably of some <laughs> kind over here. This, I read that, um, Michael Mann directed, well, I knew, I knew I didn't read he directed it. He directed it. Yeah. And he said that his first memory of cinema was watching the original last of the Mohicans movie right? or the first adaption of it. Adaptation. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I had I didn't no idea. Know that. The main standout, obviously, is that scene that was oft quoted where Daniel oh, Day Lewis, towards the end, where he falls in love with this woman. The waterfall scene. If oh the worst God. happens, you stay alive. If they don't kill you, they'll take you north up to the Huron land. You submit, do you hear? You're strong. You survive. You stay alive, no matter what occurs. I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far, I will find you. I haven't seen it in, in like a decade, I feel like. I watched it. How many of the scenes did you remember? Uh, did they come come back to you when the movie was I remember was that in? scene. I remember him throwing the like tomahawk or someone throwing a tomahawk towards the camera. Oh, Chingachgook? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, That gunstock tomahawk mm-hmm. thing? Yeah. Some of the most amazing scenes in the movie, honestly, was Daniel Day-Lewis is obviously like the best sharpshooter in the country at this point. Right. And you have to manually load each round yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the gunpowder and the long stick. But the coolest thing that they did was there would always multi- be multiple guns, guns. loaded yeah. around him. Exactly. So there's this one scene uh, towards the, I guess the middle towards the end where they're, he's thrust into the war and he's kind of protecting the daughter's and the one he loves in this stronghold and they're being overtaken. So he wants to help someone deliver a message. So he ha- they have to protect him, but the French are waiting outside. So he's like taking out these people that are about to shoot the messenger, but there's, he always has one shot. So he's done with one gun. Someone throws him another gun. He like picks them off. Someone throws him another gun, picks them off. It's so amazing. So exciting. I know. And he doesn't look for the gun. Yeah. They- <laughs> he just, he's still looking at the people he's going to kill and, and he just yeah. reaches over for another gun. Uh-huh. Yeah. I never would have thought that makes sense visually in a film, but it it still like shocked me to see like oh, that's a pretty great idea for a film with antique guns to make it look cool and visceral. They make it look cool and they they work it into the movie and the the scenes really well. There's another scene later where he's chasing Magua up the cliffside. Mm-hmm. And he is picking up guns of the dead Indians as yes. he's running. Just hoping that some of those guns are loaded because he doesn't have time to load the guns. Yeah. That was another scene that I forgot about. You know, towards the latter stages of the movie, the daughters are separated and they, after the famous scene where he says, I will find you, um, in the waterfall scene, he, he's on the hunt again to find her. And that's the scene you mentioned where he's picking up the guns. The one scene that I didn't really remember was the other sister oh, yeah. who... They try to rescue her, her lover, or, you know, uh, the brother who had um, feelings for her tries to go after her alone, and he fails. And she sees a future of her life being married to this evil Indian. Or killed in the next or 10 killed, minutes by or, or whatever. I mean, the, both. Yeah. And she just decides to jump off the edge of this cliff. Oh, my God. Amazing. I mean, that's what I think... 
there's so many interesting scenes in this movie that mm. that you just remember. Yeah, you know, there's just so many for me that are like, man, that is a creative, unique scene. And then you go, I mean, that whole sequence from the waterfall, right? Like, so you start and they're getting chased in canoes. Number one, canoes in a movie. I love it. I love canoes. <laughs> this is the canoe movie. <laughs> then, you know, how are they going to escape? It, it It's just every scene from then on is creative, mm-hmm. right? They go under a waterfall, right? And then, like, it's just so hard to predict where the movie's going every single scene from then on. You know, they're trapped in this waterfall. And then, this is a love story, right? He finally has Cora uh, in the cave. And then they consult with each other and they decide to leave. Yeah, you think once they get under, they after they canoe for what could have been hours. Yeah. And Daniel Day-Lewis is canoeing at warp speed. I don't know how he has oh, yeah, any energy Oh, yeah, the cameras left. make it look like they're just They're going like 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And they get under the waterfall. You think that's it. Like, whew, they made it. They didn't go over the edge. They made it look like they went over the mm-hmm. edge because they ditched the canoes mm-hmm. and now they're under the waterfall. And then you see the little flickers of the flames oh, of yeah. the torches. And then they're, they realize they're then, in trouble. And they're going to leave. You just think like, well, he's going to fight it out. They're going to fight it out. But they're like, no, we're going to lose. We're all going to get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And every scene from there is like, is so unpredictable and cool. You know, like they go from there to just full speed running to catch up to these guys. Full on sprinting for what I can assume is for hours, maybe a a whole day. And I love when they're sprinting up the rocks, there's music and there's heavy breathing. Mm. That's the only thing that's going on. Also the music in this movie is... Well, that's a whole other... A whole other level. a whole other level. The uh, part in the waterfall too, like they're holed up there, the three last Mohicans... And the two women and the uh, British guy who was in love with um, Cora. Cora. He tells uh, Daniel Lewis, like, we, we have to leave and we'll ca- essentially we'll catch up to you if I haven't played the audio file yet. But I mean, like, what are the you're taking such a big gamble that they would even keep these women alive? Well, and he even says that he says, if they don't kill you, they'll they'll take you uh, to Huron land. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he knows like they might kill her. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. And he leaves. You stay alive. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. And I joke about that scene but, and I was waiting for it. I was like, ah, oh, here comes that scene. Yeah. And I was listening to it. I was like, God, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what occurs. Stay alive no matter what occurs. Like the worst could happen to her. In yeah, the it might time. be the last time he ever sees her. Yeah. If this movie was made today, so many terrible things would happen to that woman in the wow. time of their, of her being rescued. I mean, so, he does get lucky, yeah. Yeah, he got super lucky. Amazing. You know, then it goes from there to, uh, you know, you think, well, what is he going to do? You know, like there's, what, 20, 30 Indians? And he ends up sacrificing himself, walking into camp with no weapons, when yeah. hundreds and hundreds of uh, Huron Indians. And you think it's just, just another example. You know, the audience is like, what is he doing? Yeah. What what's going on right now? And then you see he's wearing that loincloth underneath his chaps, <clears throat> mm-hmm. his assless chaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting outfit. You know, I saw that outfit. Get out of here! In a, in an exhibit, Daniel Day Lewis exhibit. That no, it was um, Chimney Rock State Park, one of the scene, one of the parks where the movie was filmed. Mm. I visited like a pilgrimage, <laughs> and they had they had the that outfit scene? in a case. There. Wow, that's cool. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, another scene that I remember from this movie from when I was younger was the um, Duncan who finally 
you know, he was kind of a douche yeah. in the beginning of the movie, most of the movie, you were, and he betrayed Daniel Day-Lewis. He finally pays him back at the end of this because they try to have this agreement with this chief um, where, you know, here are these two women of the colonel, you know, let's murder, murder them so his seed can never live on. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Day pleads with the chief to let them go. You know, I'm just like you. They didn't do anything. Mog was hard as twisted. And I was actually, I didn't know what was going to happen in the scene because I couldn't remember. And the chief, the chief lets Magua take the one woman to heal his heart and have a family again, which is like such a amazingly twisted and fitting way yeah. for him to view as payback and help Magwai. Is it Magwai? Magua. Magua. And uh, they're going to burn, burn the other one. Yeah, the black. So I'm like, oh my God, horror. this didn't work out at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah was that a win Daniel Day, you're not really sure this worked out here. <laughs> uh, but then eventually he trades duncan to be burned alive and that's the scene that i remember duncan i don't know when i saw that i was had to have been vhs release mm-hmm. duncan essentially burning at the stake and a but lot that, of things were shown off screen like he was shown from the waist up the flames right. were kind of just high you see him screaming mm-hmm. but that scene what a cool way to film that scene because the audience is confused the whole time because they're translating, you know, Daniel day Lewis is asking Duncan to translate into French so that the, the Euron chief can, he can communicate with the chief. Mm-hmm. And so he says, translate everything I said, word for word. Right. And so Duncan is translating and you sort of hear it in the background. And then the Huron chief is speaking French back to Duncan and Duncan is translating back to Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis. And he's trying to like, or you know, work out some kind of deal and negotiate. And then the chief makes this decision, which, you know, doesn't serve anybody. You know, it's mm-hmm. basically just as bad. And then Daniel Day-Lewis says, trade me. You know, trade me for Cora. Mm-hmm. I'm a great, you know, my death is a great honor to the Huron people. Take me. And Duncan, as he's translating, decides to give himself up. I mean, that is like, mm-hmm. and it's so cool. And Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't realize that what he said in French. It's silence. And then everyone's looking at each other. And the chief says, okay. Yeah, Nobody knows what he's agreeing to because it was all in French. You tell him. Then. then <laughs> the music kicks in. <laughs> Take me! Take me! My compliments, sir! Take her! Get out! Duncan, what are they doing to Duncan? Where's that? Right? I mean, that is like the chills. You just get chills. This is the kind of music that you have heard in other properties since then. Yeah, like the trailers. The other movie that did that was uh, Dragon the Bruce Lee Story, had a famous piece of music that was reused in a lot of properties. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I had on my notes, there was a scene, and now I can't remember it, but. Uh, well, right after that, Daniel Day-Lewis sees Duncan being burned alive after they've kind of left with the one sister. Mm-hmm. And he eventually puts him out of his misery. Right. And I, I can't remember what scene this is, but I wrote down, um, he puts when he puts his hand on his brother's shoulder. I mean, that's old- a cool thing about the film, too, is the interaction between the three of them, where they almost never speak to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, think about the dad. He's not in love with either of the girls, you know, and he, 
they're just they know exactly what they need to do at every moment yeah you know they never discuss or debate it's Uh -uh. just kind of uh unspoken knowledge of what must be done to protect them yeah and And they're just like doing everything they can they're like laying it all on the line what's also crazy about this movie is daniel day lewis is an adopted son Mm -hmm. in this family never really talked about not a lot. There's he no says details his parents were really killed. given about anything. And you're just kind of, you know, you're dealing with it on screen, which I like. Yeah. I don't even know how that would even happen. He would be adopted by this. I mean, they're all best friends at this point, I guess, <laughs> in the movie. So. <laughs> yeah. I think he said his parents were killed when he was one and he was adopted and that was it. That's all you get. We passed it. But the surrender of that fort by the mm. British was so beautifully shot I where know, they, all the, the teams gather For at the, the meeting center. at the end. Yeah, and the French uh, military leader does that like salute with the his, flourish with oh, his my hat. Word, that was so good. It's like a painting, right? Yeah, some of those scenes. Yeah. That scene and the there's a scene early in the movie where Duncan's horse carriage is crossing a bridge, mm. and it's mm-hmm. perfectly reflected yep. in the water. Um, how about the um, French military? kind of suggesting surrender terms and the British were going to say no regardless, but their terms were just leave, mm-hmm. go back to Britain and you, we don't, you're not, you're not going to be prisoners. We just want you to get out. Yeah. And then being so shocked that that was the terms mm-hmm. of the surrender. I was shocked by that. Yeah. I wonder how, how common that was. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Cause I... it reminds me of a trip Amanda went, man and I went to Gettysburg. So we're reading a lot of the plaques and mm. like the, historical facts of the battle of gettysburg there's no like adult check-ins and courses of what you learn in high school so if you don't follow or watch a movie you're kind of just like if, lost if ken forever. burns doesn't treat it at <laughs> ken some burns point. doesn't do a 20-hour documentary on it because we were reading about the color like the color guard the flag bearers at gettysburg about how important stealing the north or south flags were hmm. and how it was considered like the lowest the the highest form of embarrassment that could happen mm. is your flag being stolen by the other team. No, I say team. The Halo. other side. <laughs> yeah, by blue and red. Um, and that the flag bearer, flag bearers didn't have weapons. They were Their job was right. to stand yeah. there and hold the yeah. flag. Probably got shot so a, fair, crazy to me. a fair bit of time. Yeah. But I, I always come back to this when, when I've been doing the show. I just am kind of like annoyed at myself for not remembering a lot of this stuff or having the desire to seek it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just so much knowledge that is going to be lost to 90% of the American public. Yeah. Because they just don't, you know, it's not like they're reading encyclopedias anymore. Did they in the first place? I mean, I, mean, I remember we had an encyclopedia set in the house. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You could look it up. Probably grossly outdated. Yeah, I mean, I suppose with things like Wikipedia, maybe people are coming upon things like this, mm-hmm. looking it up, learning a couple things, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, it's a cool thing about this movie. It shows, it gives you a view into a lot of things, even like uh, fort battles mm-hmm. back then. You digging know? trenches. The trench digging, The you know, they've got uh, cattle pulling these uh, iron mortars mm-hmm. through the mud. There's a lot of sort of realistic looks into the age, what a battle yeah. is like. Um, yeah, it's really Yeah, because if really they, they, they theorized... Uh, how long they had until the opposing forces dug trenches close enough to the base where they just wouldn't be able to support it anymore. Right. You know, I don't, 
that was like news to me. I was like, oh, that's how that works. Yeah, right. I thought they just like kept attacking the base and then <laughs> yeah, they just kept running just, at the wall. They just kept throwing worked. bodies at the wall. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's how it works. That's interesting. But I, yeah, I liked it. It's not like a major historical lesson, but it's just more than the average Joe gets, you know, mm-hmm. on a monthly basis. I really enjoyed rewatching it. Oh, good. Uh, we should probably talk about the music. I mean, the music's amazing. I, you know, I was thinking about the film. I bought the soundtrack soon after seeing the film mm-hmm. it was one of the first cds that i bought and the, mu- the the music still gives me chills i have it on my phone sometimes mm-hmm. i just put it in the car my favorite song is uh i think it's called the elk hunt it's the first scene in the movie where the the three of them are hunting an elk in the woods mm-hmm. you think about movies today and and you know i'm just gonna sound like an old grandpa or something movies today what what movies i mean i think you mentioned this in an earlier episode of the podcast you know the marvel movies soundtrack i guess black panther gets some credit for having Mm -hmm. a reasonable soundtrack but you know the movies where you just think about the music and you remember the music and it sticks with you i don't know it just doesn't seem to be that common i've read i don't know if you you know i've read about the music of this and the first thing i looked up was did it win best score for 1992 and it didn't. Um, Tell me what one. <laughs> do our viewers want to tweet in a guess? <laughs> Don't tweet in. This isn't live. <laughs> Aladdin. Oh, boy. But Last of the Mohicans was not eligible. And they won Best Sound, which the sound is actually also, in general, aside from the music, very mm-hmm. good in this. There's sort of some of the graphic scenes, you know, you, all you can hear is the People, hatchet hitting someone's yeah, skull I mean, or everyone's getting hatcheted in and, this the, movie. and the gun gunfire noises are mm-hmm. like right in your ears um a lot of hatcheting uh because apparently they brought on the second composer halfway through the movie and you're not eligible for best score if you collaborate on the composition wow i wonder what the original score sounded like so that's the other crazy thing michael mann's original idea was electronic for the score which I think you non-orchestral. He, you hear a little bit of that yeah. towards the end of the movie. I remember specifically thinking like well, this is an interesting piece of music at this point in the movie. Yeah, I remember thinking that too after having read this. Apparently, very late in the game, he decided to go orchestral. Trevor Jones, the South African composer, is the original composer. Mm. He had finished almost all the music for the movie and he had to rewrite them for orchestra and they were running out of time. So they brought in the second guy, Randy Edelman. Famous. To compose uh, songs that, that Trevor couldn't rearrange for orchestra. And so apparently that made them ineligible for an Oscar. Wow. Although if you lose to somebody, it might as well be Aladdin. I mean, that's a... Pretty reasonable yeah. music <laughs> yeah, in that movie. Yeah, so. <laughs> But... This is the, an amazing little tidbit. Another composition by Randy Edelman, the guy brought in to finish the movie. Theme song for MacGyver. Wow. My gosh. Obviously very memorable, maybe just for the two of us. I don't know who else yeah. remembers the theme song for MacGyver. Remember when he goes through the gate at the end? It's closing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main thing I remember. <laughs> MacGyver was, I feel like MacGyver was on a lot at the house. MacGyver was, hopefully you'll play a bit of the theme song in here. What I remember most about MacGyver was being able to stay up. It started at 8 o'clock 
Eight o'clock was the bedtime. I remember going up the steps while the theme song was playing and just being like, man, I wish I could stay down there. It must be so good. You know, before I'd ever seen it and you just see the beginning and you're uh-huh. like, oh, I got to go to bed. Yeah. This is torture. Yeah. They would leave the TV on while we went up to bed. Well, yeah. They would just keep watching it's and like a ch- be like, t-tees. okay, get up there. <laughs> we can't do that with James. We have to go up at the same time. Remember? It was just like a snap of the, a snap of the fingers and mm-hmm. we were up. Yeah. But then finally got old enough to stay up for MacGyver and that was huge. Mm. That's on Amazon streaming. Not that you can stream anything at this location of your house. That's right. There's no internet up here. That's right. You know, when I tell people Last of the Mohicans is my favorite movie, you know, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, Last of the Mohicans. That's, <laughs> you know, that's a, a, a decent film. Uh-huh. You know? They don't remember it. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, they just have to rewatch. Otherwise, they would love it just as much I as I think in, um, I have a group of friends that we just, we talk on Slack during the day. I, f- I feel like Last of the Mohicans is, is Does it come bandied up? about in the room. I think a is few that right? people have that as a favorite movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Madeline Stowe is like really good in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the two of them work really well together and she's got some scenes where uh, her face, you know, like Daniel Day-Lewis, super expressive face. Yeah, just kind of serious scenes that they mm-hmm. do so well together. There's the scene, the first, probably the first one is where uh, they come upon the the Cameron's cabin after it's been burned out. Yeah, oh yeah. And she demands that they bury the dead and she refers to them as strangers they may be strangers but they deserve a proper burial mm. and 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 she says something about uh him not respecting them and he's walking away and he stops turns around walks back to her and she kind of like takes a step back she doesn't know what he's going to do and he says something like uh they were not strangers and they stay as they lay <laughs> he was like and he has like a little tear you know his yeah, eyes are like yeah. a little bit wet Unreal. He kind of bites his lips, sort of. Uh-huh. And then the scene soon after that where they're talking, looking at the stars, and, she, you know, she says, "It's this is not like what I pictured from London. And he says, I'm sorry to disappoint you. And she said, no, on the contrary. It is more deeply stirring to my soul than anything I could have ever imagined. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds corny. So, of yeah. course, when I, when I say it, it sounds right. corny, but... I mean, it works, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem corny, even even all these years later, like, it's like, damn, you know, mm-hmm. that was a scene right there. Yeah. Over the years, I mean, if you look at movies that I've watched multiple times, there's not that many. Mm. That's probably a good judge sometimes. Some movies are too intense, you kind of don't want to watch them again. I've watched There Will Be Blood a couple times. Gladiator was a movie that oh, I my gosh, watched yeah. many times. So I guess I like the epic. You and Meg. We're yeah. big Gladiator fans, our sister our Meg. Sister, that's right. Also amazing soundtrack. The soundtrack, I mean, maybe that's part of it for me is the music is important, but you need a couple good characters that can act. And I, I mean, it, you know, Russell Crowe doesn't always stand out as like a strong actor necessarily, but a couple movies, he really pulls it off. It was you know, like his first like, big one that, yeah. set him, that set him into superstardom. And Michael Mann directed him in The Insider, which is probably one of his best mm. films from an acting standpoint. But yeah, the set design on that, it sort of brings you in. It's the same thing. It brings you into a period of history where the director spent a lot of time making it as accurate as he could, you know, in terms of the the, the sets, the costumes, you know, what people mm-hmm. are doing. And Remember that scene in that movie where his wife was like burned alive and he comes to back to his house. Finds the body. Finds the body like hung. 
and he like oh, sobs God. on her burnt. Oh foot, yeah, very and, like, graphic. His slobber is like connected That's to her right. her burnt foot. Oh, God. <laughs> I wonder I what everybody the dire- <laughs> who's seen that movie remembers that. I wonder what the director was like. Oh, that was so good, but I guess we just leave the slobber can in we, there. Or he might have been. Can CG. we do it again with more slobber? <laughs> CGI slobber. Yeah. You know, I'd heard that there was a deleted scene for that moment where Russell wipes his slobber away with a scarf from halfdoubledesign.com. Not your granny's crochet. Ridley Scott could be heard on set yelling, Rot, get that infinity scarf, love. Amanda's waiting to hear from you on your custom order from Half Double design.com there's a hulu series that i actually really loved uh with sean penn it's called the first it's like an eight episode or like an hour long episodes but it's about um us getting it's about our first trip to mars and very dramatically shot very slow moving the music's amazing i was talking to i can't remember who i was talking to but i said it was like what i wanted interstellar to be oh yeah because I, oh, did you, did you like Interstellar? Are you a Christopher Nolan fan? I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. I did hear your episode, the 2001 Space Odyssey episode. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, you went off on that episode earlier last night. I'm not a fan of 2001. You yeah, were chomping true. at the bit, not understanding what we were going on about waiting for some negative feedback yeah on the film, i was just it waiting never really came waiting for you guys to say something negative about that movie and it just never happened every scene was incredible <laughs> and uh i mean i guess that's the same thing for les mohicans i suppose i could find a scene i didn't like but that movie divides a lot of people and you guys were pretty firmly on the positive yeah, you were not happy you were you were mouthy <laughs> yeah about it well i yeah it's tough <laughs> it's tough to uh wax poetic uh for 10 minutes about a a 15-minute Neanderthal scene. <laughs> uh, so these are but, kind of differences you know, in film that I'm talking about. Different tastes, right? Yeah, so, Interstellar, oh, Interstellar was, you, uh, you know, beautifully shot movie, well-acted movie. But as soon as you get to the whole love thing, you lost me. It just, really? It just killed it for me at the end. I, I was there. I was there for the whole thing. It felt like a cop-out. felt like a script finisher you know that's when, what i usually draws me to the movies is some kind of uh relationship or love but i felt like that movie didn't hit on it enough for me like him missing out on his daughter's uh life like i thought there was going to be some kind of big connection made but like them meeting up at the end just fell flat for me like she, yeah, she's like dying um and the ending i just didn't yeah, get yeah yeah just to too i don't know it was too weird and and they spent so much time in the movie on the the sci-fi aspect of it which i was i was into yeah you know to switch from you know they spent a lot of time talking about like well this is why we're going to be there for three years instead of three days you know and all this technical stuff which was cool you know they were really into it and then oh this this is happening because of love you know what I mean? Like we're gonna we're gonna really focus on all the details, mm-hmm. but the only way we can explain anything at the end is because of love. Mm. What do you do in Virginia? We're recording in Virginia right now. Yeah, I'm a wildlife ecologist. I work for the 
Smithsonian for the National Zoo, and uh, I do a lot of different things, but uh, I've spent a lot of time studying wildlife and how they interact with humans. Mm. So part part of the reason why I like movies like this probably is the scenery, the landscapes, how they used to be, you know, seeing how people lived in nature. We were recording in the middle of the woods yeah. right now at our house. Amazing house. Yeah, so I spend, but right now in my job, I spend a lot of time teaching courses to other biologists. Um, they come to the site that we have, and I run training programs teaching them different tools for their research uh, and, and wildlife conservation projects, trying to make how, people more effective at the conservation projects that they're working on. How much of your day-to-day is, is teaching? Um, I'm either usually preparing for classes and training programs or running them. So mm. it's most of my most of my job. What's the course you're doing this week? This week I'm helping to run a course on analyzing genetic information for conservation projects. Uh, I don't know much about that, but I'm part of my job is to help run training programs, so I'm helping to run the the logistics and everything bring, mm. bringing people together for the course, yeah. What was like your decision making about what profession you wanted to go in? from like college mm. how soon did you kind of make a decision or did it yeah kind of i remember just knowing when i was in? really young i mean you probably remember when we were young we had a ton of land we had huge forests behind our yeah. property until uh developers came in and built a bunch of houses so that's that's an important moment you know as a child i think i was maybe what 12 or something maybe when they they bulldozed most mm-hmm. of the woods behind our house spent a lot of time in those woods growing up and um i remember when i was in high school in biology class we had a project where we would we were supposed to go out and document different species in the woods behind uh high school mm-hmm. you know on the campus of high school and i was super into it i was like my favorite thing i did in high school so even when i was in high school i was i was pretty sure that i was going to do something wildlife you know something that got me outdoors and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I never really had to question anything. I went, I went to college, you know, majored in natural resources management, you know, and just like was always super into it. I remember visiting you in Cornell, and that's where I got that uh, Weapon X trade paperback. That's one of my. Is that how you gauge uh, main memories moments in life? I think I remember. Also, it was very windy, mm. and Dad's hat flew off. <laughs> At some point, while we're walking the grounds, what was that when you were like dropping me off for college? I don't know or? If we, it might have been dropping off or just a visit or something. And I remember buying that book at the school store. Well, I didn't buy it, mom bought it for me. Oh, the oh, yeah, right. The compilation of all the Weapon X yeah. series, mm-hmm. the, yeah, right. And I was actually going through, um, because one of my favorite artists, Norm Brayfogle passed away Hmm. who drew batman when i first started reading it i was looking for his single issues to read them again Uh and i found the marvel comics presents issues that comprise that weapon x trade paper they're in the collection that i have subsumed from curated yeah (laughs) your your collection of wolverine issues because remember we used to buy when i started reading wolverine i had to buy my own or I had to get my own copy of Wolverine. So we had two copies for of like some of those, do a year of Wolverine. I wouldn't let you read much. I don't know what it was, but I would, I wanted my own oh, yeah. or I can't remember because you have copies. Well, by the time you started reading Wolverine, there had probably been 20 or 30 issues 
or maybe 40 or 50. That's a, yeah, I, 40, probably it, 40 or 50 by the time you started collecting. Yeah. Because I remember 50 was the, remember the, the cover with the claws. In oh it. yeah. 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 So we had copies before that. Um, and you had a lot of the early run, yeah. not, all, not all of them until you started collecting. But I remember the copies that I have, have the UPC code on them and mm. the copies that you had, I don't know if you, if the shop that you got them from or if, or if they were mail order, but they had the cool version, which was like Captain America's head or exactly. something or Spider-Man. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking that those were like the coolest versions because you have some Spider-Mans that top, remember when Tom McFarlane restart, he like oh, got his yeah. own number one. Spider-Man versus Wolverine. You have those like Torment, which is like an R-rated oh, Spider-Man yeah. version. You have the ones with like the cool non-UPC code. Uh, I can't remember how you yeah. ever got those. I don't know either because I usually bought them in the shop in Hatboro. Mm-hmm. But there were several shops in Hatboro. Remember oh, there was true. one that like became a- Yeah, they moved around. Uh, like a Matchbox car yep, store exactly. or something. That's where I bought most of the old Wolverines because they would have, yeah, it was probably, you know, the, the number one issue was before I was collecting. So I bought that, you know, that was 10 or 15 bucks when I bought mm-hmm. it, I think maybe. But um, but I would go back and they would have periodically on the shelf older things. You know, when I was buying them in the 30s and 40s, they would have a 15 or a 17 mm-hmm. and I would always buy those up. Yeah, you had like a, yeah, there's a few of them in, in the in the long box like John Byrne, remember the famous one where it's like a greenish tint, it's Wolverine's face and he has the claws the up claws like next this. to him. Yeah. Amazing cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember drawing over that cover. When I was young, I remember like drawing, you know, like a piece of paper and I would try to match oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what I was remember on the cover. That, yeah. I used to do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing collection that we have. Yeah, so well, you were most, looking through there? Mine, no. Mostly. <laughs> over the years, Matt has had a hard time remembering which one are mine but over the years I, i've had less and less of the collection has <laughs> I somehow could, been my original I, comics i could have told eventually you it's going to be like yeah i think what is it do you have one or two in this box joe <laughs> i could have told you that the spider-man mcfarlane's were mine and be like uh, oh okay yeah geez, no no no, no 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 not the spider-man mcfarlane's still those are my prize too those were my favorite comics you have the one um you have number one uh, but I remember reading those when I was younger and being like, f- having the feeling that these were like above my pay grade. Like oh, they yeah? were violent. Yeah. There was a lot of blood. Because remember he was hunting like a serial killer. Um, oh, was he? I don't yeah. That. He, was, he was hunting for someone that was a serial killer and Wolverine eventually showed up because they thought it was Wendigo. Oh, like yeah. Like white That's beast. right. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are memories. so beautiful. They are. Do you still have my uh, McFarlane Spider-Man from... Like the early McFarlane Spider-Man? That was my most expensive comic. I, you have... <laughs> hope it's still in there. You, yeah, you do. You you have um, the McFarlane issues that he did in Amazing Spider-Man before Amazing he Spider-Man. got his own Yeah, and there's a cover thing. with... Uh, yeah, they're still in there. Yeah, okay. For sure. Yeah, I wouldn't get rid of those. <laughs> They'll be worth something again someday. X-Force, the Infinity Gauntlets. Now, Infinity now uh, Gauntlets so much in, in the media. My, mm-hmm. uh, I have a whole bunch of the Infinity Gauntlets. I think you have, X, you have X-Force unopened it's still in its bag it's baggy yep oh yeah because they had multiple covers <laughs> yeah and they had the trading card inside mm-hmm. remember, i remember us going to burdick's the, yeah. what was that shop? it was like a milkshake shop yeah. it was a cigar store yeah, like a soda news, shop i guess like you would call it stand mm-hmm. so, soda like shop newsstand like yeah. yeah i remember that was the one of the earliest places to get comics yeah but they were newsstand, so they were kind of like later than comic shops. Yeah, they, would, they didn't there. have a huge selection there. I think that's where I got the Batman mm-hmm. with uh, Norm Brayfogle. Your your career has shifted a little bit over the last few years, but are you gonna, still going to be in the same 
doing the same thing in like 10 years from now, 15 years from now? What, what, what could it evolve mm. into? What, what's your desire for it to evolve into? That's a good question. I like the training programs because I like teaching. And I'm also in charge of building new courses. So they might not be courses that I teach, but I seek out expert uh, scientists to come mm. in and run new programs. And I help them develop the program and I sit through the programs and it's I learn new stuff all the time. Mm. And I get to meet really talented scientists that come from outside of, of my institution and some of them, you know, have become good friends and are really fun to work with. And so I think a lot of people, as they go on in a job, they end up doing the same thing over and over again. But I'm constantly kind of meeting new people, thinking of new course ideas, learning new stuff. So I have it. The job hasn't gotten stale for me. And, you know, my wife and I bought this house here, which is this amazing place in yeah. the woods. It's hard to think about a better position. I get to keep, I'm still doing some research. So uh, I still have students that I work with on research mm. projects. So I, I get to do a lot of fun stuff and it, it's been, yeah, it's still as interesting as it was when I started at the job, you know, eight or 10 years ago. So remember when you were on TV with, uh, well, the Jeff Corwin experience, Jeff Corwin, is he still around? Uh, it's a good quote. Probably he's, yeah. I remember when you, uh, check out the hyena episode of Jeff Corwin experience. <laughs> Google Joe Kalowski misses hyena shot Corwin. <laughs> you know, I got the DVD of mm. that from the Discovery Channel, and I was happy to see that they did not include His... the missed darting of the hyena. They included my two successful dartings, mm. and they, not like the original airing, they, they did not out. include the miss and Jeff's uh, disparaging remark. comments afterwards. <laughs> Although that also means that you don't hear me getting beeped on Oh, that's right. Yeah. Just when, uh, to rewind, there was a <laughs> episode of the Jeff Corwin experience where Joe was appearing on and back home, you know, in small town Hatboro, PA, it was a big event. Oh, the family tuned in, right? Yeah. I think like everyone. I was still in Kenya. So. Yeah. Well, even before that, you going to Africa was like the thing. Because we're like, Joe's still in Africa? Joe's in Africa? We went to church. We'd see everybody. They'd all be asking about you. <laughs> Um, this was like the biggest deal in the town and you were going to appear on this show you, or you had filmed something for, uh, his show. He appeared and, uh, it was just a funny moment where like the, your appearance on television included, included you cursing and, uh, and <laughs> in Jeff frustration. Making, making fun of me. <laughs> I got a lot of angry emails from family and friends. Did not appreciate. <laughs> out, did you? Yeah, well, did, that didn't appreciate Jeff Corrin. They wanted to. Oh, they, yeah, wanted they wanted to write to in. They him. wanted to strangle yeah. Jeff Corrin. I remember mom being pissed. Yeah, that was funny at him. But that was funny too because people would, you know, years after would text me and say, "I just saw you on a rerun of <laughs> Jeff Corrin experience while I was picking up a pizza in a pizza shop <laughs> or something like that." <laughs> Season premiere in the books. Quick note, forgot to mention in this episode that Joe was also reading the French version of the original book, Last of the Mohicans. Guy can speak French. As always, my one final ask of you, dear listener, 
is if you have friends, text them this episode. Maybe you have a friend that's in love with DDL like Joe. Text them. Share the love. Goodbye.